Welcome to Game On, the weekly football podcast bringing together seasoned professionals, the male star football writers and a celebrity fan or two. I'm your host, Mark Pugach. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Game On on video. Should the BBC change their criteria for Sports Personality of the Year to include Marcus Rashford? Are Manchester United on the way back after they win over Leipzig in the Champions League? And will Pep Guardiola stay on at Manchester City after this season? All this to be debated with the former England Chelsea and Manchester City winger Sean Wright Phillips, Martin Samuel, the Daily Mail's Chief Sports Writer, and Ian Herbert, the Daily Mail's Deputy Chief Sports Writer. Hello, everybody. Good to see everyone looking so well. Uh, it's late autumn, so we must be talking about Sports Personality of the Year and Marcus Rashford, Ian, and the, the usual debate about what the wording actually means and should Rashford be on the list? What's your take on it? Well, it's, it's, a, it's become, I think, a dilemma because I think a lot of people feel that, you know, Marcus should be Sports Personality of the Year because of everything he's done outside of football, you know, in this of all years. So, uh, um, however, the BBC criteria might not allow that because I think the criteria for sports personality of the year means that it's for a sporting achievement. I mean, for me, he should be sports personality of the year because I think, as I say, in this of all years, it's been about how sport can play a part in the in the broader society and the broader attempt to, to make sure everyone has a certain amount amount of food on the table and can survive really but it's been interesting one to look at just through the prism of reporting for the mail because you know when you actually tweet out uh this story which which we broke about the fact the criteria might not allow him to some people feel well it's got to be a purely sporting decision and lewis hamilton's got to be sports personality of year you know every day of the week for me in this of all years marcus but it's been a good debate for us this week in the paper. Martin, this is where the issue with the word personality comes in, doesn't it? It's sporting achievement of the year, probably, as Ian says, Lewis Hamilton. But the sporting personality who's had the most impact in the year is undoubtedly Marcus Rashford on a, on a society level. Mm, yeah, it's, it's, the it's the name of the award that is the problem. I mean, a number of years ago, uh, they should have given it to Eddie Izzard. Eddie Izzard ran um, a month of marathons. I think he ran a marathon every day, didn't he, for like four weeks or something like that. Um, all for charity. It's a, it's a hell of an achievement. And you can't say the man hasn't got personality. So it fits every criteria. So um, I've, I must admit, I've never been a, a, a big fan of, of the award. I know I'm speaking to um, uh, people, yourself who work for the BBC or whatever. I... I I, the show drives me up the wall, I must admit. I mean, once I had Dirty Den doing the golf a few years ago, that was that was me and, and sports personality of the year finished. So I, I, I'm I'm very I'm very very relaxed about whether or not Marcus Rashford is on the shortlist because it's not a shortlist that I, I, I give two hoots about really. Um, and I would have imagined Marcus Rashford is very relaxed about uh, whether he's on the shortlist or not. And it's a it's an interesting debate. I completely agree with Ian, but. The man's not doing this for awards. He's not doing it for the NBA. He's not doing it for the Freedom of Manchester or whatever. He's, he's doing it because he's a really good guy. And um, and that's reward enough. Um, that that really is reward enough. So if, he, if he's on it, great. If he's not on it, uh, really, you know, uh, I, I, I'm not greatly concerned because 
we can see what he's done. He doesn't need any. He doesn't need to be sports person of the year for everyone to recognise that the outstanding sports person this year, in terms of his contribution to society, um, is Marcus Rashford. Sean, do you care either way? Um, I wouldn't say I, I don't care. I do care, but um, I think what he just had um, hits the nail on his head. I, I feel like you don't need a, a reward to prove that you've done something good in the world and what he's done speaks volumes for himself already. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Ian, I don't think there's any suggestion the BBC are going to change their criteria, is there? Well, I think, I think if there's, if there's a, I mean, if, if there's a big um, sort of outpouring of public opinion, I don't want to suggest this is like, you know, electing the next prime minister, for goodness sake. I don't, let's, let's keep it in perspective. But I think if there were a real sense that it's wrong, that he shouldn't get it, they could ad adapt the criteria, um, but um, interesting to see which way it goes. I mean, I mean, Lewis Hamilton, uh, you know, again, on a sporting level, it always strikes me that he doesn't actually get quite the applaudits that he ought to for the achievements he's made. So um, it's, it's been interesting. It's, it's, not, it's not very often you get a story where there's, there's, there's definitely two quite strong schools of thought, really, like this. If you, if you look at it, I mean, Lewis Hamilton um, has, has spoken out on Black Lives Matter. He's, he's, he's been done a lot of socially aware things uh, this year. But then you counterbalance that with the fact that he's a, he's a tax exile and, 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 and that sort of thing. And, and, and this is where it becomes this, um, this strange thing, the Sports Personality Award, because a Sports Personality of the Year Award, because how, how, do, you, how do you quantify um, I think Princess Anne got it. Did Princess Anne not get it the year that Tony Jacqueline won uh, the US Open? She and, definitely got it at Olympic. Open. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so how, how do you how do you compare these the, these different things? How do you how do you quantify whether what Lewis Hamilton has, has done in, in his sport um, yeah. compares to somebody in a completely different sport yeah. with completely different disciplines? Um, and to what extent do you factor in the, 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 the social issues or, 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 or indeed personality? You know, everyone just go, oh, Andy Murray can't get it. He hasn't got a personality. Remember all that rubbish, you know, when yeah. anyone who knows the man, he's, 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 he's a very good guy. He's, a dry, he's, he's got a very dry wit. Um, but, you know, what, what, are you, what are you meant to be? Tommy Cooper, I don't know. Let, let's talk about something which is much more serious, much more important, mm -hmm. much more significant. Uh, very sad news that Jeremy Whiston, a former Manchester City Academy player who was released a couple of years ago, has passed away this week. Sean, you came through the Man City Academy and you would have seen a lot of talented footballers who didn't make it. What's your experience of what happens to them and what safety net there is for them, provided for them by the club or elsewhere, if they don't make it? Um, from my experiences and even now because obviously my son plays it there is no support for the young kids and sometimes I've I've felt and I've seen even more like more so now with my kid playing that there isn't nothing there the the club in a way doesn't know what that kid's going through at home or whether they're depressed or in a bad way that one little decision could make make them spiral basically so I just feel like if we can have say that that mental help within the seniors I think is something that needs to be filtered down because the pressures on the young kids now football is that everything they don't think about anything else before or after it this is 
that dream. And once it's gone, they could just be lost completely. And there's, there's nothing there for them to talk to or vent to. Sure. Does there actually need to be a person, I'm not saying a department, but a person who actually is almost in charge of helping these kids after they've been released? I mean, maybe there is. I don't know, of course. You know, helps them get another club or if they want to leave football altogether, because a lot, a lot of leave football altogether, point them in the right direction towards training and skills, qualification, guilds, whatever it is elsewhere. Um, I, I most like in the times now, I definitely think in, in clubs, there should be at least one person that, that does stuff like that just so they don't lose their way and so they can see, for me, there's other paths and options in life that you can be just as successful in. Martin, it's, it's because it's a very worrying and sad scenario, isn't it? Mm. When, and you can see it, a young kid puts all their efforts and all their dreams and quite often all their family's dreams into making it and they don't. And then suddenly... You know, they're looking at they're looking at the other side of life and it's not quite so rosy. Well, when I wrote about it um, this morning in, the, in in this morning's paper, one of the one of the things that one of the sources uh, I quoted was an old, a conversation from over 20 years ago with Terry Venables when he was England manager. And he had to um, drop five players from a from a European championship squad. And it was our first home tournament for 30 years and people were saying to him, oh, this must be the hardest decision, the hardest thing you've ever done. And he said, no, I said, I've been a club manager. He said, I've sat in a room with a 16-year-old. He said, and who has done nothing wrong, who has turned up every day, who has worked as hard as he possibly could and have taken all of his dreams away from him and just sat there and said, son, you're, you're not good enough. He said, and it is the worst conversation you will ever have as a manager. He said, because you know that that kid, everything he's done, is to try to be a footballer. And you're saying, no, for whatever reason, because he's just a little bit short of what we need. He said, and once you can do that, you can do anything else. So you, you know how painful that is. From the point of view of there should be someone, there is someone at Manchester City. And I think that's what's hit people in that department. Um, that's like Jason Wilcox. And it's hit them very, very hard because it's very different to when Sean was uh, was playing when I think people were just told, you know, that's it, and and then left left let the bus stop to uh, to go home and 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 deal with that. Uh, there is now a department, um, a player welfare department. They do call, they do make follow up calls on, on on kids that are released at Manchester City. It's one a month for the first six months, and then for uh, you know a, a little bit less regularly after that. And none of those protocols have worked in this case. Um, and that's, I think, what has really hurt everybody there, that you can have all these protocols, you can make all these considerations. There was nothing in the phone conversations that suggested that there were any health, mental health issues. And, and then for this to happen, it, it's, it's almost too real. You're in the business. Uh, you, you think it's all fun and it's excitement and it's joy and you're bringing joy, but actually football clubs are in, also in the business of breaking people's hearts, you know, on an industrial scale every single year when you think of all 92 clubs. Because this will happen at every single club. There will be 10, 20 kids told, no, 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 you, you know. And when you, when you, uh, there was a very good interview, uh, Jonathan Northcroft in the uh, Sunday Times um, with, uh, Raheem Sterling last week, really, very, very good. And he, he was talking about what he did, um, three bus rides after school. His sister used to take him. Um, they used to get back from school at 11 o'clock at night 
uh, from the Queen's Park Rangers training session. You used to have to change buses three times. He's not alone. There's there's a thousand stories like that of, you know, I can remember Fernando Torres had one for Atletico Madrid. Their training was across the other side of Madrid to him. Um, and so the effort and, and, the, and the desire to succeed in these kids is, is very, very strong. And it must be heartbreaking at the age of 16 to be told it isn't happening. In the case of Jeremy... Wiston, he was injured, he went on trials elsewhere, he didn't think he did himself justice. Within a year, he wasn't playing football at any level at all. That's amazing how often you hear that, Martin. They don't play football at all. Mm. It's not that they haven't made it for Man City. Yeah. It's as if their dream is so much fixed on Man City that if it's not Man City, it's nothing. Ian, Marvin Sordell played for Bolton and once attempted to take his own life, tweeted this. We have to do so much better in the world and in the football industry. One of the psychologists I spoke to explained to me that a player losing their football career was akin to the traumatic effect of losing a loved one. There has to be a proper process of moving on from that. Well, as, as Martin's explained it, there is, a, you know, Jason Wilcox of Manchester City, and you'd imagine that is mirrored across, well, across the big clubs, but clearly... I think we can say it's not going to be mirrored all the way down. Right. I, I just sort of wonder whether part of the problem is that um, it'd be interesting to see what, you know, what, what Sean thinks about this, but whether there's just, you know, these clubs, the big clubs just hoover up so many young players from such a young age to make sure that they don't miss the world beater. So really the chances are sort of, of making it, you know, a naught point, you know, naught, naught one or something. There is a stat which was in a book, mm. Which, uh, Martin, you know, you and I both know the the Michael Calvin book. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No yeah. Hunger in Very Paradise. You know, which which really was an entire book on this topic, really. And mm. I just sort of wonder whether, if you're hoovering up so many kids, the chances of them making it are so slim. And yet, of course, every child's going to think it could be me. So, you know, there's going to be such tragedy along the way. Sure. What do you um, say to that? Um, Right now, I, I can say I, I strongly agree with that, especially I feel like in, say, some of the bigger clubs now, they're actually buying foreigners in as well at young ages, as well as taking all the best talents from England. So the, the competition in that, that area is tough and hard and it, it's very demanding. As I said, like, I got my son going through it now and I speak to him on, on a regular basis about that situation. And I just feel like, although there's certain structures in place that it would be good at some times. Cause like I said, you, you never actually know what a kid is going through in, mm. unless you put an arm around them. And it doesn't necessarily need to be that person that speaks to them. If things are going wrong, just maybe from a coach, like explain to him what's going on, show him that you actually do believe in him. And do you know what I mean? It doesn't mean you're necessarily saying that, Oh, okay. You're going to play for me all the time but at least speak to him, let him work on stuff to improve that. If it doesn't work there, he can take to other places. But I feel like in, in, some, play, in some places and some clubs, that once they're not interested, then they're not interested. Now, for us on the outside now, you'll never, we'll never see what is actually happening to this, these kids. Mm. Like, we're just going to take everyone's word for it and just think this is the way. But my son's going through like a, a, a really tough time right now because not everything's going his way. And I'm t telling him to like be positive and just keep believing in yourself. Like things will happen. Now, if, if, if he didn't have that, then nobody, do you know what I mean? Knows 
how, 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 old how old is he, Sean? Yeah. How old my is he, Sean? My son has just turned 19. So right, you, so yeah, do yeah, yeah. Do you, have you had the conversation with him, Sean, about it might not work out, this is what, if it doesn't, this is what we as a family, this is what I can as your father do to help? I'm not talking about help as in find another club, I'm talking about help on as a mental supportive level. Yeah, of course, because I, I'm, I've gone through being released. Like, I got to that point where I was told I was going to be signing and then got told on the train home with my family that I'm too small and not good enough. So at that time, I thought my world ended and I just had the right people around me at that present time. Like, I don't know what could what would have went through my mind otherwise, do you know what I mean? So for me, I understand that all the clubs do have these prototypes in play but they, I just feel like they need to be used more. Like, it shouldn't just be if this person's released. It should be like if this guy, this kid's not been involved in a team for like weeks, because this could have been building up over a long period mm, of time. Mm, mm. And, and, you, and, and you look at this, and, and every club has got a player welfare department now. But if you think of what the player welfare department has to deal with, it... it, it they're dealing with the first team. They're dealing with, you know, they're also, I mean, it's the player welfare department that allows Emiliano Sala to get on that, on the plane uh, to come back to Cardiff. I mean, the, the player welfare officer, I think is waiting for him. I think Herbie's done a, a lot of work on this story. He was waiting for him at the airport, wasn't he? He was waiting mm. for the plane at the airport. Yeah. That's the, that's the player welfare officer for Cardiff. Mm. So it's, it's one, it's not an exact science and two, that everyone's not a, a mental health professional. Uh, and three, if you've just signed £100 million with a striker from Spain and he's stuck at home with his missus and the washing machine isn't is, is packed up and they don't speak English and they can't get a plumber, the welfare department, I would imagine, gets fairly distracted halfway through the day trying to find a plumber that they can get into the, to the centre-forward's house because the family's tearing their hair out. Mm. So, you know, quite how much time and how much... Uh, how diverted you can become from shall we check on this kid to make sure he's all right because we've released him I would have thought it's a pretty oversubscribed department player welfare department yeah. these days okay that's great no I think that's that's that is definitely food for thought Well, that's Julian Nagelsmann. And of course, Ian, uh, RB Leipzig has seen got a bit of a thumping at Old Trafford in the Champions League in the week does that does that reduce his currency at all, Nagelsmann, or do we put that down to a one-off and he's still hot property? I think it's very hard at the moment, isn't it, to sort of really, you know, take anything away from any game. I mean, I think mm. for the reasons we've talked about, uh, you know, in, in earlier episodes of this show, you know, goals for a myriad of reasons, not least are the players fit enough this small uh, close season. But I do, I mean, for me, I think what that sort of said was, um, you know, we do perhaps as writers have this tendency to kind of, you know, big up the next new, the next new manager, as it were, or whatever. And, you know, you look at some, and, and, and in the meantime, we tend to sort of write off managers who were there all along. And I'm just, suppose I'm thinking about people like David Moyes, who, you know, you know, I mean, I've got to admit, I've probably written enough negative pieces about David Moyes, you know, to last a lifetime, but, you know, there he is doing very well. I saw a piece in the mail earlier week that the players are, are, are really keen for him to have a new contract. Brendan Rodgers, who we've had this odd relationship with, haven't we, as a country? You know, when he when he left Liverpool, he suddenly was no longer flavour of the month. And now you wonder, well, you know, why didn't Arsenal hire him as manager? That's what you thought last weekend. So, 
I'm not saying it's, you know, um, Nagelsmann's kind of out of favour, but I think sometimes we can lose sight of the the good British managers, dare I say it, who were, who were there all along. We perhaps they were a bit short term in our interpretation of how, you know, how good or bad they are. Sean, he's only 33, Nagelsmann. He took the Hoffenheim job at 27. So he would have had players clearly in his dressing room older than him. How do you think you and the players you played with would have responded to such a young manager? Um, I think it, it, it would have gone off the um, first couple of training sessions, I think, because you really, unless you've heard of a manager or you know his criteria, you, you don't really, you can't really make judgment. But I think if, he, if he's as good a, then as he's shown now in the last year, I think people would have took that straight away from the sessions and respected everything he did, which... I think is hence why he's in the position he is now because the players have, have bought into exactly what he wanted to do at both places he's gone to and it, it served him really well. And now he's the man that a lot of people are talking about. Do you think we'll see him here, Martin? I mean, they all, in the end, we, you know, we go, oh, we, as Ian says, we want the big young thing now, don't matter what nationality they are, look at this country. And, uh, no, it's, for, it's very it true. But I mean, I think I, I completely agree with, I completely agree with his point that, it's a. Um, it's not just managers either. I mean, or, or, you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there banging away at keyboards, going, "Oh, Manchester United, you know, failed in the transfer market. How have we not got a centre half? Why don't we get? Why don't we get Apicano? And you and then you think, yeah, then you see you see him, and you see it turned inside out by Marcus Rashford and by quite a few others on the night. You're thinking, really. Really, that's who they should have got. That was that was the guy. But he's a name. He's he's at Leipzig. We don't really see much of Leipzig, so you just hear. Yeah. But this guy's doing very well at Leipzig, and and everyone. I mean, I can remember when Sven um, got the England job. I can remember actually writing a column that, that asked people anybody who has seen live more than ten games from this manager live. I think I, could, I couldn't find it. I didn't get a single reply, not from a journalist, not from a reader, yeah. not from someone who said, oh, I was a Lazio season ticket holder. Nothing. You know, and everyone going, oh, this guy is going to be great. This guy is going to be fantastic. And you're thinking, none of us have seen more than three or four games live that this man has actually managed. And when he turned up, he played English football from about 1978. He banged it into the channels. It was regimented 4 4 2. You're thinking, we've got. 200 managers at home who play like this. We've got, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, we've got a conveyor belt of guys who want to play 4-4-2 and whack it into the channel that that is for sale. Um, so I, I, I totally agree that there is, that we, we go after, oh, this, this guy's doing brilliantly at Bushy and Munch and Gladbach. Yeah, okay, fair dues. How many times have you seen him play? Yeah. I know, I know, um, I know Nagelsmann's at Leipzig, but you know, yeah, yeah no, no, the point was, is there, fair. Yeah, yeah. was Fabri was the Bushy Munch and Gladback guy from uh, a few years back or whatever, and he was going to yeah. be, he was going to be brilliant. He was going to come to England and show us all that. We'll see, we'll see if he comes here and he dresses as, as smartly. But the the uh, uh, we talked about Manchester United Ian, and and Martin sort of referred to it on passants, it were that. A couple of weeks ago, we were all going to Sorry, gonna sorry could you translate that, Mark? Mark? Sorry, could you translate that, mate? I saw <laughs> it. it all went into French there. And, and... <laughs> well, we were writing off Ole Gunnar Solskjaer a couple of weeks ago, and suddenly, you know, they played very well against Leipzig. They won handsomely at Newcastle. And I don't know, Ian, are you looking and going, well, maybe that Tottenham result with the Martial sending off was just a complete freak. And actually, 
they're not bad, Man United. In a season where nobody's particularly good, they're, they're, they shape up alongside everyone else. Yeah, I, thought, I, I, mean, I think they're OK. I mean, I, I sort of saw that, you know, I sort of wrote about that Newcastle game. I thought thought they were OK in that game. They, they obviously won it late in the day. I mean, I mean, for, for me, you know, having said I've, I, I wrongly castigated Moyes all those years, for me, Solskjaer's not the man. I just don't. I just don't think that there's a kind of a, a consistency or a philosophy or a kind of a, um, you know, he doesn't have it. To be, he doesn't have what you require to be United manager for me. And I just still think they were they were a couple of years ago. That's just a personal view. And I don't actually think that at times the work ethics there in in the moment on the field of play. You know, in a, in a difficult game like that Spurs game. Um, but it's hard to judge. I mean, we know we we, we thought um, we thought Spurs, had, you know, were, were you know we've thought they're the new the new thing that they could be contenders, and then you know look what happened last night. So it, it's really hard to you know analysing at the moment makes a fool of you, doesn't it? Yeah, it's actually Martin impossible to analyse this season, isn't it? Because we've got Man United Arsenal at the weekend, and this season's been goals galore for everybody except Arsenal, at both mm. ends of the pitch. Arsenal have scored eight... Li- well, Arsenal have scored as many league goals as Son Heung-min, put it that yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, it's you, you get in these games now, aren't you? you? You're going to Manchester United versus Arsenal. But I think, what was it? Um, I think Gary Neville described uh, Manchester United-Liverpool a few years back as the dog and duck against the red lion. And, and, you, yeah, and you do yeah, feel... Yeah. And you do look at the league table and you're thinking... This should be one of the, you know, one of the games of the season. And you're looking at it, and <clears throat> neither of those teams. I mean, Manchester United. I, what I, what impressed me the other night was that they made five changes. And you look at the two United teams: the one that played against Chelsea at the weekend, the one that played against Leipzig on Wednesday night. And they're both very good teams. You know, you can take change five people and, and what's their best team. And, you know, they played against Leipzig. They haven't got Rashford in the starting lineup. They haven't got Bruno Fernandes in the starting lineup. Then they can play another week and leave out Mason Greenwood or Anthony Martial. Paul Pogba comes in and out. I thought Paul Pogba was outstanding the other night. And, um, and, and you sit there and think, well, why, why doesn't he play like that every week? And uh, I totally take Ian's point about work ethic there as well. Um, Arsenal is just its just strange. I mean, you, you really do hope that with Aubameyang, it's not another one of those stories where somebody wanted to leave Arsenal, couldn't get the move he wanted, ended up signing a contract for 250 grand a week or 300 grand a week. And he's really there just to, you know, just because that was the best money on offer rather than that was the club for him because his goals have completely dried up this season, which is, which is strange. Uh, we will we'll see about that game. Sean, what about your old team, Man City? They take on Sheffield United, who had a bad start to the season. But the way that City played in Marseille in the week, are you how confident are you feeling about Man City this season going forward now? After well, listen, everyone's had a choppy start. Let's be honest. Um, yeah, I think um, the game in the midweek it, it showed for me that they're getting a bit sharper as the the, the high press seemed to start and last um, longer than the previous games and they seem more hungry. And I think with KDB back, like it, it's giving the attackers options to run. I felt the few games that I had seen in the past when he was playing without Serge and um, Jesus, he didn't have that option to either play into feet or to slide people in. But um, even without them against Marseille, I saw the front three rotate, the rotation was well. 
and they, they was getting in behind, which was creating chances. But um, going to Sheffield United is not an easy place. It never has been. And I think um, it'll be tough. But hopefully, I'm, I'm confident we should come away with something after the result in the midweek. And they're going to have to play like that, City, aren't they? Without Aguero, without Jesus, they're going to have to play that rotational front three false nine, aren't they? For, for you know, a few weeks, obviously. Um, yeah, they, they, they're definitely going to have to. But I think if, like I said, if they... The front three rotate the way they do, and one come short, and the other two go long, and give options to the to the midfielders behind them. Because I thought Foden played excellent in that game, mm. as as he always does, and he seems to be able to open things up for people when maybe the front three or ain't ain't really doing much. So I think if if we have that little gem working, and obviously KDB plays, I think uh, we, we shouldn't have too much of a problem down there. Yeah, uh, Martin, how excited are you by Phil Foden? So he comes on at West yeah. Ham, equalises almost immediately, plays in Marseille. I think we could all agree will be rehabilitated by Gareth mm. Southgate next oh, month yeah. as well. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a tremendous player. He's a great player. He, he really is. He's got, he's got the potential to be a great player. And um, and what Guardiola has done with, with him, you know, because there's been a lot of us, including myself, why doesn't he play Phil Foden? Why doesn't he play Phil Foden? But there was clearly a, a longer philosophy there that, you know, he would get his place in Manchester United starting lineup in Premier League matches, in major European matches, once he was ready. And, and, and he's, he's nurtured him brilliantly, really. And David Silva has, has, has left the club. There's a little bit more room. Foden is, is put in there. Um, and he looks the part. He really does look the part. They'll get a harder game, by the way, from Sheffield United than they did from Marseille. Yeah. Because Chris Wilder won't leave his, all his best players out. You know, yeah. we, I mean, the other night, Man City played very, very well. But why on earth you would leave Marseille left Pai out, uh, they left Sanson out. I mean, why on earth you would go into a home Champions League fixture when you've lost your last 10 Champions League matches on the spin and not pick your best team? Uh, I do not. Let's finish with the future of two people in one manager, one player. Let's start with Pep Guardiola with a, with a year left on his contract. And obviously the latest Barcelona machinations are, aren't they? Um, you know, the new, if the new president is who he wants him to be, let's get Pep back. What do you think the future of Pep Guardiola is? Bearing in mind, this is the first time he's ever been at a club for a fifth season this season at the moment at City. I can't see that... Pep's best years are ahead of him at City. I mean, I just think every time the question of kind of where his heart lies crops up, which is not that often, it always feels to be Barcelona, which is entirely reasonable. I mean, you know, he's Catalonian, for goodness sake. And I just think, um, you know, City have been through a lot with him. There's been a lot of disappointment. There's been a lot of success but I just I always feel with politics as we sport once you're into the final year once you get the feeling that perhaps a renewal isn't there you know we're almost looking to sort of where where they go next and I think for City that's quite a problem because the you know for about two or three years before he arrived the whole philosophy of City was, was you know with, with um Ferran Soriano the chief executive Chiki Bagiristan the director of football it was all about Pep these are Pep's mates they were in place and I always felt they were in place to bring Pep in. So everything's been about waiting for Pep, having Pep. So it's a it's a big challenge for City, you know, in terms of you know what happens next. But I think Pep's best years at City are are in the past. 
Sean, do you think there's every chance he won't be at City next season? Um, I don't know. I get asked it a lot. I, I think for me, I kind of um, focus on what he's doing now. I think it what happens to him next year, for example, um, I think goes off how this season goes. I think that, that will answer a lot of questions for everybody. But um, I don't see why he would want to leave. Like, I get he loves Barcelona, but... I mean, why would you want to leave a club where pretty, what, who pretty much give you everything? Martin, what's your instinct? Well, I think the comp- there's a complication, isn't there? Because there's all this stuff about would they, you know, can they get messy in the summer? And I'm, I'm, I'm never, I'm still not convinced about. Um, I'm certainly convinced about Messi, but I'm still not convinced that <laughs> buying Messi um, is 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 the thing to do because he's a, he's a Barcelona man, and and you'd think. Uh, that's that's where he should he should remain, but I think that complicates it because we can all see a finite end to to Pep Guardiola's time at Manchester City, but then you've got this complication because that's the dream ticket, isn't it? That was uh, as as Ian says about um, about Soyano, about Bergstein. Um They were there to get Pep in, and the thing was, oh, if we they got Pep, we could maybe get Messi as well. Now that could possibly happen next summer. It could possibly happen next summer. So does that does that then complicate matters with Pep? Would you you know would you then be saying look we can get you messy we can get you messy it's 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 a little bit of a mess really. But in some ways in some ways it you know it's surely the manager's got to be there. Like, that's total. I total, that's fascinating what you say, Martin, about that as a that never struck me that 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 could that could be the, the kind of the dynamic next summer, mm-hmm. but. The manager surely has to love the club, feel that the club is his every waking living moment. And to hell with whether you've got Messi or to hell with anything else, a player. It's all got to be about whether you want to be there rather than trying to persuade him to stay on by, you know, some mechanic like Leo Messi or whatever. It's not no, the city, is it? <laughs> no, that, that's 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 why I've described it as a mess. I think it's a complication. It's a complication that you've got this dynamic that you, th- there could be a sort of natural end to Pep's time at, at Manchester City in the way that there was at Bayern Munich, in the way that there was at, at Barcelona uh, at first. But um, but the, the the whole messy conundrum then complicates it. Yeah, it does definitely I, muddy the waters. There's no question mm-hmm. about that. And let, let's finish with somebody who three years ago was a mainstay of the England team and now gets hauled off by his manager at halftime in the Europa League. Sean, what is the future for Dele Alli, who has gone from one of the brightest young English prospects to now, you know, being outside the shop window, it seems, at Tottenham looking in, let alone England? I think for me, like, for me, from what I've seen over the last six months, I think he has to think about what he's going to do next. But at the same time, it's it's sent it's actually showing sending a message to a lot of younger players that have followed not his footsteps but come through and become like big quite quickly. That it can end at any time if you don't stick to the levels you came in at. Like because there's always going to be players coming through and there's always going to be new managers that expect you to play differently that you might not be able to do. And other players will come in and do that. So I think um, for me, first of all, I'd say like if he wants to get back in the England team and get back to where he has, he, unless he wins Mourinho over as Don Bele has, then he's going to have to move on. 
It's really interesting that, Sean, isn't it? And it's the old adage, it's so hard to reach the top, it's even harder to stay there. Stay and there. that's what it's, in a way, that's what you're saying is that's what it's proved yeah. the Deli Alley story. That's um, exactly, exactly yeah. it. Martin, what do you, what, I mean, it, obviously January is only a couple of months away now. There was a flirtation, I don't know, maybe PSG were flirting with him rather than the other way around, whatever it is. Are we getting towards the stage where Deli Ali doesn't appear to be able to convince Mourinho and getting hauled off at halftime in Antwerp doesn't help and that he yeah. may well move on? Well, I mean, Mourinho said I could have taken 11 players off yeah. at halftime and it's interesting that, you know, of the And we believe players. Mourinho as well. Oh, yeah, oh absolutely. <laughs> I mean, um, I could have taken 11 players off, but interestingly, the one he did take off was Deli Ali. So, um, when he started, when he, Mourinho first came there, I think that first game at West Ham, um, Ali looked yeah. as if he, he really could be his guy. Um, and quite how it's gone as badly wrong as this, uh, it, it's, it's very, very, it's very, very strange. But, it, you know, he'd lost his England uh, place before this. So it's, it's not just the thing of Marino's turned up and ruined his career. You know, Marino's yeah. arrived and, 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 you know, and stuffed him basically. Because Southgate obviously spotted something that wasn't happening before that as well. And I'm, I agree with Sean. It's a, it, there is a there is a lesson there that um, you know if once you set that standard, you've got to hit that standard every single week. When you look at mentioned him earlier, when you look at Paul Pogba's performance against Leipzig, and people say, "Oh, why isn't in the England, why isn't in the Manchester United team all the time?" And go, "Well, because he doesn't play like that every week. He's not hitting that standard every week, and that's why Solskjaer leaves him out of some matches." You know. and, and actually, Ian, I'm thinking about it, it's going to be even harder for Deli Ali now that Gareth Bale's there because the way Deli Ali plays, you know, those late runs into the box and running in behind, yeah. as it were. Well, if you've got Bale, Son, and Kane, if you're Mourinho, you're probably thinking, well, I've got those three. There's less need for a Deli Ali type player, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think if, if, if I mean, you, you I think Deli Ali's best move's got to be look, to look somewhere else, you know. Um, although, having said that, I've covered two Tottenham games at Burnley this year. I've covered, covered them in March, and and, and Dombele, who Sean mentioned, was brought off very early, and after the match, absolutely clattered by Mourinho. He, he battered him. He just, yeah, a good word to say for him. I covered the same fixture on Monday night, and, and Dombele was the best for me. Was the best Spurs player on the field. He was he was very good. So, state of mind as well, I suppose. Can you get over those kind of thumpings that Mourinho dishes out? Although Jose, his judgment's not always great. I mean, Mo Salah, uh, Kevin De Bruyne, both yeah. players who Mourinho dumped. Yeah. And actually, Sean, were you not hauled off by Mourinho early at Fulham, or have I got that wrong? Yeah, no, correct. Me and Joe Cole. Yeah. After, uh, what, 23 um, minutes? 16, maybe. 16. No! Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that, that literally, he said that it wasn't because you did anything wrong. We couldn't get you into the game, so I just felt like something needed to be changed. And it worked. It was a tactical change. And you just have like, to take it, that. You literally yeah, have to yeah, take that as a man, don't you? Yeah, you, at the end of the day, he, he's. I see, like, I might not agree with some of these decisions, but he's the manager. So I have to get on with it. I either curl up and hide away in a corner or make sure it doesn't happen again. He's got this adage, hasn't he? I mean, I don't know if Sean might, may well have heard it, but other people at Chelsea have told me that he'll basically just say, say to the group, look, this is what we do. This is what I want you to do. This is how we play. If you can't do it, we'll get someone in who can. 
Yeah. And it's and it's and it's really that it's that simple. It's that sort of straightforward. Well, let's finish with this one, Martin. Yeah. I heard another one which may be true after Chelsea beat Man United the first cup final back at Wembley, where obviously Ashley Cole, the Arsenal Ashley Cole, was rampaging down the left wing, and the Chelsea Ashley Cole, you know, there was an electric wire, hmm. wasn't there, across the halfway yeah. line, and he said something like, "Do you want to enjoy the game or do you want to win it?" Yeah, yeah. And Mourinho, you know, there are a lot of W's in his column, Sean, aren't there? So, you know, that's the the proof there. Yeah. And that's it from Game On. We'll be back next week and every week via Spotify, Apple, and Google. Don't forget to sign up to your daily briefing from mailplus.co.uk. That's it from me, Mark Pugach. See you next week for more Game On.